Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo. Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español. Marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. Um, I, I should cool. probably be saying goodly morning in Turkish, but I don't even know what good is, let alone goodly. I, I'm in Turkey. That's that's what we need to get to. Okay, you're in Turkey now. I can only assume uh, that you're there to broker a deal, both for Jack Wilshire to join Fenerbahce, which is what we're mm-hmm. hearing. You know, you're getting a little bit of extra work on the side as a as a football agent for Jack, but also, but also dealing with every single club in Turkey who all want to sign David Ospina. This is this is why you're there, right? <laughs> I'm here with a big PowerPoint presentation about the brilliance of David Ospina, basically. I'm traveling the country, uh, presenting to clubs, hoping that one of them will take me up on the offer. Right. Uh, I, listen, surely this is the summer. I've been saying it all summer, and now we realise I had a vested interest all along. Mr. 5% is here to, to make his cash. Uh, no, I'm actually on holiday, believe it or not. But uh, the Jack Wilshire thing is curious timing. Apparently, he's, he's due to be unveiled here today. Are you going to go? Are you going to ha- go down and hang around outside the Fenerbahce Stadium? I think you should. I, could, I mean, I don't think I'll be the only one. I remember, do you remember those videos of when Darius Vassell came to Turkish football that was and was a, greeted a, some sort of god. Astonishing. It was truly <laughs> astonishing to see the reception that he got. I mean, brilliant uh, for him, but it was Darius Vassell. You know, it wasn't Pele or anything like that. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, what do you make of that Jack Wilshire story? Uh, he, he was uh, talking over the weekend, apparently, about how he would be interested in a move abroad. Uh, one of our listeners uh, last week sent me a tweet of Jack Wilshire in Berlin, so he was in Berlin. Maybe he stopped off in Berlin on his way to Istanbul to uh, to deal with Fenerbahce. But I don't know. It seems a, seems a bit of an odd one, but who knows? Who knows? I mean, my understanding is that uh, the sort of tax break situation for athletes coming in from abroad to Turkey is, is relatively favourable. And that's ah. why it's been quite a common destination for some of Europe's leading lights. I mean, also, from what I can tell early on, Istanbul's a very cool city, beautiful beautiful weather, certainly in the summer. So I don't know. I mean, uh, I've, I've grown so suspicious of Turkish transfer rumours, haven't you too? Yes, of course. Yeah. You know, you can't help but be dubious because every player in Turkey is linked with us and every player we have is linked with Turkey in some way and none of the deals ever happen. Like none of them, well, even if yeah. one happened, you go, oh, maybe, but none of them ever do. So I'm a, I'm a, a little bit, a little bit dubious uh, when it comes to those stories, but we'll see. And, uh, another one, I mean, we've talked about Aspina going in one direction, you know, from Arsenal to Turkey, but another name that seems to increase 
really been linked with that is Danny Welbeck. Have you noticed that? He's, his name comes up with sort of Galatasaray and Besiktas relatively frequently these days. Yeah, yeah. I don't see that happening, to be honest. I can't see can't see Danny Welbeck going, although you did, of course, predict him to be the first man sold this summer. I did. Hasn't did. happened yet, but then nobody's been sold yet. Nobody has been well, sold. Uh, he probably won't be the first to be sold because obviously he's going to be in Russia all the way to the World Cup final, right? He's not going to be home for some time. <laughs> Danny Welbeck is going to score the winning goal in the World Cup final. <laughs> off off his face? I don't know. Off his uh, knee? So, I mean, it won't be a normal goal, will it? No, it'll be a Danny special. And, you know, some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. It is now as Welbeck scores the winner for England, uh, ending however many years of hurt it's been. Uh, many, many years, many years, of course. 48, I, I believe, or 58, actually. I think I got it wrong. 58. But uh, lots of years, lots and lots of years. Yes, yes. Uh, so have you been keeping up with World Cup events while you've, while you've been there? I have, I have. I mean, it's been very dramatic, hasn't it? Very dramatic. I wonder, as a, a neutral, are you kind of just enjoying the drama, enjoying the upsets, or are you sad to see some of the big teams going out of the tournament relatively early? No, not at all. I'm just, like uh, like I said last week, I, I'm uh, neutral, no dog in this fight whatsoever. So I, I'm all for the entertainment and all for the drama and everything else. I thought Saturday's games were far, far better than Sunday's games. The yeah, uh, France-Argentina game was was great, uh, really good fun. The Croatia, not Croatia, who played Uruguay and uh, Portugal game in the evening was mm. decent as well. Uh, we got a chance to to look at Lucas Torreira a little bit more. We might talk about that, but yeah, no, it's been it's been really enjoyable. Was I sad to see Spain go out? Not really, because you know. They can be a bit boring. I mean, I know they're brilliant and they play some amazing football and everything else, but days like yesterday, maybe it's just because I've seen Arsenal do that so many times as well. They're so frustrating when you uh, when you just pass, 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 pass. And I know it's difficult against a team that sits deep, but there just didn't seem to be any other idea than just pass it around. You know, pass yeah. them into submission. Passive, passive possession at times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Passive and, possession. Yeah, and also, you know, when I think that when they won the World Cup, they scored a really sort of pitiful amount of goals, as I recall. And and like you know, they rarely won a game by more than a goal. It was quite, you know, there is a uh, a caution sometimes in the way they play. They protect the ball and protect their goal through possession, but it's not always the most blood and thunder or, or exciting thing on the ice. So I, d- I do understand that. Also, I think the hosts staying in the tournament is generally a good thing. It does seem to kind of improve the, the atmosphere around the games and means that those neutral Russian fans in the stands are a bit more engaged than they might otherwise be as, as the tournament goes on. Yeah. Because um, I think, you know, they fill up a, a good proportion of the grounds. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, Spain gone, uh, obviously Germany gone earlier in the week. It's been Argentina gone as well. When you watch France, did you have that... Um, that pang of what might have been, you know, with Mbappe. Is there any part of you that thinks, oh man, yeah, we really missed the boat there? Yeah, the for me. yeah, of course, because we knew he was a talent and 
you know, when he steps up and does it on the world stage like that. I mean, the run in the early part of the game to win the penalty was just pure Henri. It was just like watching Thierry Henri again. So there is, of course, uh, a wistfulness when you see a player who so resembles, uh, you know, one of our greatest ever players and somebody who is so, so exciting to watch. You could see why Arsene Wenger wanted to sign him, why he went to his house to to try and convince him to to join Arsenal. And, you know, I think maybe a couple of years previously, Arsene Wenger would have had enough cachet to be able to do it. But, you know, maybe it was a sign, uh, you know, that he was on the wane a little bit, that he couldn't convince this young French talent to to come to Arsenal. I know we've talked about this before, haven't we? This generation of French players uh, that's been really very, very promising and very exciting, and we haven't really had any of them. Um, but yeah, he was just... He was just brilliant to watch. So exciting. Uh, you know, the two goals were, were great as well as Giroud assist. The finishes, the way he runs, the way he moves, his pace. It's just like, it's just like Henri. So it's hard not to, not to be a little bit, ah, for fuck's sake, why couldn't we get him? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, as Martin Tyler once called Thierry Henry, electrifying. That's what Mbappe is like when he's like that. Just, And I, I, it is a shame that it, it didn't work out with him and Arsenal. And of course, when you look at the money PSG paid for him and the money they're paying him, it's, it's you know, you sort of shrug your shoulders and go, ah, oh, well, we, we tried. But I think the fact that we weren't able to offer Champions League football in that particular summer mm. when we were in for him, that feels like a big factor, really. And uh, yeah, things just didn't, pan out that way but I mean it was great to watch um, and obviously good to finally prove that Lionel Messi is a fraud you know good to have that proven <laughs> yeah of course I mean look I, I couldn't believe how bad Argentina were at times it was unbelievable just how it bad was. they were as a team Chaos. it was just what is going on here like Messi is brilliant and anybody who tries to convince you or anybody else otherwise that he is not one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player of all time, just because he hasn't done it at a World Cup is, I think, absurd. You know, didn't they get to the final last time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, they the, uh, they've been there. Fine margins. He was a player of the tournament as well, I believe, for Golden Ball. Right. Uh, and then they lost the final to Germany. Yeah. But, uh, you know, watching somebody like Angel Di Maria, who scored a brilliant goal but apart from that was it just a big bag of shit like it was <laughs> I couldn't think of any other way to describe his performance it just kept getting worse as mm. the game went on the worse he got and you're looking at uh, uh, an Argentina side who had 4-2 down and they have um, Higuain they have Dybala on the bench they bring on some ineffective attacking midfielder is he even an attacking midfielder this guy Meza and it's like what are you doing why who is making the decisions I know the jokes are all about you know Messi managing the team or or whatever but why who is making those decisions and why because when you need goals at least you you can stick on two players or at least one of those players at that point who was or would be a semi-reliable goal scorer and I don't know what the thinking was at all no, I mean, it, as I said, it was absolute chaos. And that's an Arsenal fan saying that. So we should know. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, astonishing to see such a talented squad playing so, I won't even say listlessly, just so 
randomly. I mean, it just felt like it had been thrown together. You know, it was really odd. And, and I mean, to be honest, I think they were really quite fortunate to get out of the group stage. So not a huge surprise to see them fall at the first hurdle in, in the knockout rounds. No, but that game contained my favourite goal of the tournament so far from Benjamin Pavard. Uh, oh. I just, oh, I love everything about that goal. Everything about it. it. The, it's unbelievable. Yeah. The technique, the way he sort of, it's so deliberate as well. You know, it's not like just a guy who's whacked a ball that's bouncing. You can see he's trying to control it with the way that he hits the ball, sort of almost like a drop shot in tennis, isn't it? The way he kind of strikes under the ball to give it that spin and mm. the way it curls around, just absolutely sensational. I love that. And I love that that goal from a defender as well. And it's he's been linked with Arsenal, of course, he has. Uh, earlier in the summer. I mean, actually, I've spent most of the tournament thinking... Why is this guy playing at right back? He's he looked very obviously like a, a centre half who's, who's playing out of position, and he struggled to get forward a bit on the overlap. And then in that one moment, I sort of decided let's sign him and play him up front. I mean, it was a brilliant, <laughs> brilliant strike. Really was. I'm going to be so upset when we don't sign him now. <laughs> He's sort of the John Jensen, isn't he, of this World Cup? <laughs> yeah, maybe so. We go 150 games without him scoring for us. But yeah, it was a really great goal. And I think France found something in that game that they haven't really had for the whole of this tournament. You know, I think Griezmann's been a bit off and it hasn't quite clicked for them really. But uh, Mbappe came to life and, and has really sparked them into life. And, you know, when you're when you're looking at your next opponent, if you're looking at France and you're looking at Mbappe, you're thinking, uh-oh, this kid could, could really do us some damage. Yeah, and I mean, almost the knockout rounds are almost like a kind of separate tournament in a way you know you, you, the group stages of course it's great if you build up brilliant momentum but as we saw in the case of Croatia sometimes that momentum doesn't necessarily result in a you know blistering knockout performances and France will feel really positive that they've started on that yeah on that good foot I mean they've got to be one of the big favorites now I'd say yeah, they could well be. I mean, it's it's an unusual tournament in that every time a game happens, your thinking kind of changes or shifts, doesn't it? You're you're going, yeah. well, this is the way I think everything's going to go, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, well, we're going to have to change our change our thinking about how the tournament might be won or who might win the tournament. So yeah, it's been it's been fun from that point of view. So who was uh, who did uh, Portugal or Uruguay? So yeah, Lucas Torreira. Played mm. for Uruguay against Portugal. People enjoyed the fact that he uh, he whacked Ronaldo at one stage, um, which I think is fair enough. We'd all do that given half a chance. Uh, but they they won two one. Cavani scoring two goals. I think they deserve to go through. To be honest, I they, do as well. Yeah. I have to say I really loved. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk about Cavani's sort of curling finish for the second, but I loved the first goal. Yeah, um, I, I'm not a big massive fan of Suarez or Cavani as people or individuals, but the way that Suarez sort of bulleted that cross, you know, right across the penalty yeah. area and Cavani got that header into the near post. I found that pretty exhilarating. Was it, was it, was it head or was it shoulder or was well, it his ear? Question. I don't know. It was some part of his weird oblong pointy face. Wasn't it? I'm not, it wasn't quite clear to me. Yeah. I think it could have been his ear because I was looking at it going, oh, that's a great header. And then I was going, oh, that's a good shoulder. And then I watched a number of replays of it and I can't quite figure it out. But yeah, really good goal. Really, really good goal. Um, Pepe scoring for uh, for Portugal. That's not nice. Nobody no likes, to, likes see to see that. that. No, 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 we can't have any of that. But uh, yeah, Uruguay, they look mean. 
um, defensively as well, don't they? They've got Godin or Godin, uh, who's a who's a really excellent player, as we know from having uh, having faced him uh, in the Europa League last year. Mm. So so that was that. Well, they've got two great centre halves, two great strikers, and the, the best holding midfielder in the world, obviously, in yeah. Lucas Torreira. Lucas Torreira, yeah, I, I thought he was impressive. He, he really got about the pitch, and his defensive instincts were very were very apparent. I think he had four block shots and four clearances, two interceptions. You know, he he looks like a player who could very easily sit at the base of a midfield with Jack and Ramsey ahead of him, doing the mm. running and one of them doing a bit of the playmaking. And yeah, if that's the plan, I can see how that might work. Yeah, I think the most startling thing, I don't know how many he actually contested, but I saw a stat on Twitter afterwards that he won all his aerial duels. I mean, how? Did he have a stepladder with him? I don't know. Wow. Wow. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's not a big guy. He is not a big guy, but he looks promising. A lot of people now in the in the questions for this one are a bit worried that because he's been so good in the World Cup or because he had this uh, very standout game that uh, it might make it difficult for us to get the deal done. Do you worry about that? I actually don't worry about that. I think... You know, when the president of the of this club, Sandor, is saying, you know, we've sold Torreira, then in my mind, kind of whatever Arsenal say, the deal is is all but done. I, I think, I, I mean, this feels like such a jinx, doesn't it? But I feel quite secure. What about you? <laughs> yeah, same, same. You know, I think if people were going to buy him, they'd be buying him before now. We've obviously uh, identified him quite early on as as the target. So we'll uh, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. But yeah, I think. Pretty much everybody is saying it's done. But then, then I've got two words for you. <laughs> Mikel Arteta. Yes, absolutely. I thought you were going to say Hatem Trabelsi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that was uh, that was a different era. God, he was... Re- uh, that- retro reference there. Yeah, it really was. Uh, amazing. Didn't he end up in one of the the Pro Evolution Soccer squads or the FIFA, yeah. whatever game it was. It was Pro Evolution. He, he was an Arsenal player, yeah. He was an Arsenal player in that season because everybody thought that's what was going to happen. So, uh, yeah, well, there you go. But anyway, look, until it's done, 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 I guess you can be a little bit worried. But I, I think uh, I think this one is pretty much over the line. So we'll, we'll wait and see. So yesterday, Spain out, uh, penalty shootout with Russia. Two penalty shootouts, of course, Croatia and Denmark going to a penalty shootout out as well. There was something quite amusing to me about, and I apologize to to our Danish listeners, this is nothing to do with you, but there was something quite amusing to see Peter Schmeichel jumping up and down, looking so happy, and then right at the very end, he was crestfallen. Obviously for Denmark and for his son and everything else, but to me, that was kind of kind of funny. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, Schmeichel's an old enemy of Arsenal, but I have to say, I did feel sorry for for Schmeichel Jr., I mean, he couldn't have done much more, could he, Casper, to keep uh, to keep Denmark in it? No, no. I mean, what did you make of the um, what did you make of the penalty award at the end? I mean, the penalty was clearly a penalty, but the decision to give the guy only a yellow card. Yeah, tricky one that, isn't it? Because it, it seems to be associated with this this new rule change about you know double jeopardy, essentially. Uh, but I. I <laughs> I mean, the problem is, I think the player, if you said to the player, look, you're going to get a red card for this, he still would have done it. Yeah. You know, it was it was such a professional foul, such a cynical one, mm. that, that I think, yeah, a red card probably would have been more appropriate. But, I mean, yeah, even that game, which wasn't particularly enthralling, it still delivered... 
big style on, on drama. And I have to say, yeah, it's just been an amazing World Cup so far. Yeah, so today, as we're speaking, we've got Brazil-Mexico coming up this afternoon, which should be good. Uh, mm. Carlos Vela. High hopes for that. You You have high hopes for that, yeah? Yeah, I think so. Well, Mexico have, have largely been quite fun. Even when losing, they've <laughs> contributed goals <laughs> to the tournament. Uh, and Brazil, I, I heard Tim Stillman on the Askcast last week, and he was talking about how this isn't, I mean, I, I, I'm probably irritated even by using this phrase, but not a vintage Brazil side in terms of attacking flair. But they do seem to be probably the most, one of the more consistent sides in this yeah. tournament. They are, they are starting to click into gear. So I think that'll be a a tasty game yes it will and then later this evening it's Belgium versus Japan it's impossible to see anything other than a Belgium win in this one they have such a, an array of attacking talent and Japan through to the knockout stages because they had fewer yellow cards than mm. who was it Senegal so yeah I think we we've been slightly robbed of a really interesting game haven't we I think Belgium versus Senegal would be a lot more interesting than Belgium versus Japan yeah but there'd be more yellow cards Andrew and do you love fair play or do you not love fair play damn it damn it my <laughs> one weakness you there. <laughs> um, and yeah then, then tomorrow night it's England against Colombia David Ospina says that uh, Colombia don't fear England which, I don't know, maybe that's true. Maybe they're famous last words. We'll wait and see. And what's the other one tomorrow night? Um, bom, bom, bom. Uh, Sweden versus Switzerland is tomorrow afternoon. So that's our, that is our uh, Arsenal interest game because we've got two players in the Swiss side there, Granit Xhaka and Stefan Lichsteiner, of course. So, Well, don't forget, unless I can complete my dealings this afternoon, uh, David Espino is the man standing between England and and the World Cup glory currently. So yeah. there's that to watch out for as well. It would be just typical of him to have the performance of a lifetime. Espino versus Kane. It's yeah. the battle we've been waiting for. Uh, Kane has won that battle a few times in the past, actually. <laughs> so maybe Ospina's due one. Who knows? Who knows? We'll wait and see. So from an Arsenal point of view, there hasn't been a great deal going on at all, has there? Other than uh, a meeting last week, uh, which Ivan Gazidis and Unai Emery were at. They were talking about uh, signings. There'll be more signings to come, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, are you are you feeling enthused? We're now heading into July because... Uh, that's when uh, we believe the Socrates deal is going to be announced for fiscal reasons. So that could happen today. So that would make him our third signing. So mm. things are happening in that in that sense. Torreira, as we've spoken about earlier, appears to be more or less a, a done deal. So, yeah, the, the, you know, things do seem to be ticking along. I mean, today, the players are due back today, aren't they? Are they back at training today? Tomorrow or, yeah, today or tomorrow, I think. Yeah, yeah. So... so- it's positive that we've got a couple. I mean, the deals that we've done already. I guess only Leno will be joining up with the squad. I'm still, I'm still flitting between Leno and Lino. Have we clarified that? I think, at all? Was it not Lino? I think we decided Lino. Yeah, I don't know why I keep saying Leno. It's probably Jay Leno in my mind. So that's probably a colour in my perception. But I think, yeah, I think. Because he just seems to come across all right. I think it's nice that the manager was there and everyone everyone I saw who was in attendance at the meeting was really impressed again with the manager. And the fact that his English appears to have kicked on, while not entirely surprising, is definitely a positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Just trying to think what else there is really on the Callum, Arsenal front. Callum Chambers. Ah, oh, yeah, Callum Chambers' contract. That What's, was a surprise. That was a bit of a surprise. I don't quite know what the thinking is there. I mean, they gave him a two-year, maybe maybe just to, to tie him down a bit further because it was only a two-year extension that he signed. He joined in 2014, so 2018 he added a, a two-year extension, so probably three seasons. So maybe they just wanted to get him tied down a bit further. But uh, yeah, a bit of a surprise given that he did, of course, sign a, a new contract last November. But holding mm. a signed a new contract, Mavropanis has come in as well in January. Chambers is 23, so the, the more senior of the three young central defenders that we have... And it seems clear that we're going to try and build around them and develop those players alongside a couple of more experienced ones like uh, Socrates, like maybe Skodra and Mustafi, who knows? Do you think that James's contract might lead to a departure in central defence? No, I don't think so. Because it doesn't necessarily change anything dramatically, does it? It's not like we're humming and hawing about whether he was staying or going. I know there was some interest from Fulham uh, and Leicester, I think, were were interested Mm. in him as well. But it wasn't a case that, you know, is he or isn't he going to stay? We kind of figured he was going to stay. Like, if Chambers are gone, then I think we need uh, to bring somebody in. But I don't know. Look at it on paper. So uh, uh, Chambers holding Mavropanos, Mustafi, Socrates, and Lauren Koscielny. Koscielny's yeah. out until... Christmas, say. So. Yeah. So that gives us five central defenders. He is not going to play a back three as far as we know. He doesn't play with a back three, does he? So he's going to play a back four. Five players for two positions seems pretty reasonable. Uh, it's about who his first choice is going to be. We assume that Socrates is going to be one of them. I, I do wonder who he's got earmarked as his as his partner, first and foremost. Yeah, well, we had a question about that, so maybe we'll come come back to that subject. But it is interesting, the numbers, the pure numbers game, because we, I mean, you never know how much to read into it. We do continue to be linked with other centre-halves, potentially, in the transfer market. So I, I just wonder, with Chambers holding Mavropanos all relatively young and requiring game time in order to develop, mm. I do wonder if one of that trio might go out on loan next season. Maybe, maybe. But I wouldn't but I, imagine it to be Chambers. No, I, you know, I maybe, maybe. It depends because I think in the early stages of the Europa League, he's going to use that as a, a way to, to, to play those players, to give them mm. game time and everything else. So I think it's val- more valuable for them to play with us, even if it's slightly less than to go out on loan. Mm. But I guess he'll have to assess... Mavropanis is the one I think that he would have to assess in yeah, terms of readiness, n- not necessarily holding, but Mavropanos, I think. So uh, some reports that Aaron Ramsey's contract is close to being done. Other, that would be good news. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'm... Skeptical? Maybe a little, yeah. I'm not quite sure about this situation, to be honest. Uh, well, all I can say is that I know that, if, you know, if probably... Two or three weeks ago, it definitely wasn't done. And the club and the player were in a position where effectively the last offer, the most recent offer had been rejected. So if it has, if there is progress, it means that Arsenal have significantly upped their offer, which they might they might have done. But mm. a few weeks ago, there was no agreement, definitely. 
Well, yeah, we'll wait and see. That's one that's got to be sorted, though. That feels like one that's got to be sorted this summer, one way or the other, with uh, with Aaron Ramsey. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and it feels like it will inform the rest of our summer to an extent, because if he goes, I think you're definitely looking at another midfield player coming in. And also, if he goes, it changes the budget that we're playing with as well, especially on the salary side. So, yeah, yeah it's it's one hope. I mean, I think it needs to be sorted, not, not only this summer, but in the next few weeks, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to touch on a couple of quicker World Cup things again, Mesut Ozil is out. Germany were out. Uh, an amazing defeat to to South Korea. But he, he, uh, he left a tweet or wrote a tweet uh, and it said, having to leave the World Cup already after the group stage hurts so much. We just weren't good enough. I'll need some time to get over it. The first hashtag is say no to racism, which is quite pointed. It is. It is. And uh, it has been an interesting summer for us, really. I think, I mean, I speak from Turkey, but since he was pictured with uh, President Erdogan of Turkey, I think his, the perception of him in Germany has shifted dramatically. Mm. And I think, you know, there is a... I don't think it's uh, outrageous of Erdogan to suggest that there might be a, a sort of far-right element within that. Um, but it is a complex situation. And uh, I yeah, I mean, what did you make of it? I just thought it was very pointed. You know, the, the next hashtag was World Cup, then Russia 20, uh, 2018, then hashtag M10. Uh, but mm. the first hashtag say no to racism. Stands out. Yeah, it really does stand out. And I think, uh, yeah, I think you're right. The picture with Erdogan didn't do him any favours. I'm not sure it was the smartest thing to do. Uh, but, you know, there's never any uh, excuse or justification uh, for any kind of racism or discrimination. So he's obviously feeling it. Um, and I think he has been made something of a scapegoat uh, for the failure of the German team, which, again, perhaps like Argentina, was a bit all over the place in this tournament. You know, for a guy like uh, Joachim Lowe, who's gone the distance in the World Cup and done amazing work with Germany over the last 10 or 12 years, it's very strange to see his team look so disjointed, you know? Um, and, yeah. and Ozil is picked on, I think, a bit because maybe people feel he doesn't contribute enough in the big games, and I can understand that to an extent. I do understand that. But you know, at the same time, in that game, he laid it on a plate for, I think it was Mats Hummels who headed over, and that would have been the goal that they needed to go through. So when you're a creator and you create, but your creations are not being finished, then it's a, it must be hard to take. You know? You're sort of at the mercy of, of other players. Uh, you're, the perception of your performances is at the mercy of other players. Yeah, you are. And I suppose that's why fundamentally goal scorers are the most prized players in, in football because, you know, they, they're they sort of a force unto themselves. But I think it worries me hearing that from Ozil that it's going to take some time to get over because as an Arsenal fan, you know, I remember Andreas Chavin when Russia failed to qualify for the World Cup, the, the slump that produced in his form. I remember even Alexis Sanchez. Yeah, I think when Chile failed to make it, I think there was a dip from him too. Uh, you know, Ozil, he's an important player for this team and very important for next season. So I don't know if he'll be even back ready by the start of next season, given the laugh he'll, he'll get now. But mm. uh, I obviously you want him to come back fine fit. And I, I, what I want to hear from him and what I want to see is he wants to prove something, you know, yeah. sulk. And I'm, I hope that's what we'll get. 
Yeah, I hope so. Maybe he'll come back and, you know, he, he does strike me as the kind of guy who needs an arm around the shoulder. So maybe a new manager and, uh, you know, come back and get a bit of love from him and made feel important might be a good way of helping him get over the uh, the World Cup disappointment, which is... Yeah, I mean, it, it works both ways because I remember when Per Mertzacker won the World Cup with Germany. Yeah. He spoke about how difficult it was to refocus then, how difficult it was to sort of reassess and realign your priorities and your ambitions when you've reached you know, what many consider the, the summit of the professional game. So having that bit of hunger from a disappointment might not be the worst thing at this point for us. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the other thing I just wanted to talk about was my my favourite moment of the World Cup so far. I'm going to play it for you here. This is, uh, this, <laughs> this is Saul Campbell talking on Sky Sports. <laughs> I've seen this. Great. This is amazing. Okay, so from that game, who's going through to the semi-finals in St. Petersburg from Brazil and Belgium? I think France. <laughs> <laughs> He's a left-field thinker, Sal. He doesn't play by the rules. He thinks outside the box. Absolutely. He is not going to be constrained by facts like one team <laughs> playing the other team. <laughs> it's brilliant. What would you like? Would you like uh, a burger or a steak? I think, I think fish. hot dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely sensational. All right. Well, look, we'll leave it there for part one. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two where we answer the questions you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Just to remind you that if you want something else to listen to after this, you could check out our two-part history podcast, which is available for Arsblog members on Patreon. Myself and James and Andrew Allen relive the 2001-2002 season. Pretty good season that, James. It was. Lots of lovely Robert Perez moments for you particularly to enjoy. Yes, and a lovely big double at the end of it. So if you want to hear us go through that entire season talking about the arrival of Saul Campbell, the Bergkamp goal, that brilliant Robert Perez goal, who it was who stepped up when Perez got injured and drove us towards uh, the FA Cup final and winning the title at Old Trafford, winning the FA Cup beating Chelsea and winning the title against Manchester United at Old Trafford, 
doesn't get much more enjoyable than that. You can sign up for just five euros uh, per month, uh, and you can do that at patreon.com forward slash arsblog. It does help us uh, do lots of other stuff on the side as well, including this podcast, uh, including expanded coverage of the youth team, uh, which George Bird is doing over on Arsblog News, which I, uh, I hope you're enjoying. More coverage of the Arsenal women's team and just more stuff in general. You, uh, your support really helps us in that regard. So do sign up, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Right. Um, question for you, James. I'll go first here. Um, it, it comes from Noir Confidential, who's at Noir underscore con. And he says, James talked about it a bit in his last video uh, on your YouTube channel, but I thought you oh, guys yeah. should explore this subject some more. If Ramsey was to leave, where do you see him going? Ah, well, it's an interesting question. Uh, I... <sighs> My understanding is that if he is to leave, that there are definitely suitors for him, both uh, abroad and in the Premier League. So I, I don't think he's shy of options. Something that you know happened with Meza Erzl last summer is that people said, well, you know, who's in for him? Where could he go? I don't think that that is the same situation with Ramsey. I think if he wants to leave the club, I think he's, he's got the chance to do so. Um, where, as for where I think he's likely to go, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's, he's always talked about wanting to go abroad, hasn't he? Mm. Or is that just a sort of a myth that sprung up among fans? Is it something he's actually said? Um, I don't know. You keep talking and I'll look it up on the okay. uh, internet. <laughs> well, it feels like... there's. Well, listen, we always talk about him having said it. Um, so whether or not we can prove it or not, it's uh, something that we have, a perception that we have. I think that could be in his interest, especially because uh, he could sign a pre-contract with a club abroad six months before the expiry of his deal. And I think that might suit a lot of clubs who you know don't who would like Ramsey but don't necessarily want to pay 40 million pound 50 million pound for him yeah uh, so I think you know there's always been talk about Barcelona it wouldn't surprise me if that was near the top of his list personally I just don't think Arsenal can allow it to get to that point I think the lessons of last summer of Ozil and Sanchez have got to be learnt and I think at some point in the next few weeks, given that the, the transfer deadline is actually five weeks away now, that's yeah. all it is, five weeks. I think in the next couple of weeks, they need to get a firm uh, yes or no from Ramsey on if he's staying. And at the moment, it's a no. So unless that changes, I think I think the club might have to do the brave thing uh, and sell him. Yeah, would, I mean, we're in that hypothetical scenario where we go, well, we should sell him abroad for a lesser mm. fee than we might get if we sold him to another Premier League club. Yeah. You know, maybe that might suit all parties then, because if Ramsey does want to play abroad, um, then that would suit him and Arsenal wouldn't have to sell him to a rival club or somebody who's perceived as a rival, a rival club anyway. That's uh, it. I mean, I'd rather see Ramsey go to a, a Barcelona and a Manchester United or a Manchester City, even if it meant, you know, 10 or 15 million pounds less yeah. in the coffers of the club. As a fan... I would absolutely rather that. So if it comes to it, then then that's be what I would do. Mm. But, uh, you know, it'll be an, an interesting, a really interesting test of this new executive management team, won't it? Yeah. See how they handle that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found an article here in The Telegraph, which is only loading the first couple of paragraphs for me. But basically, basically it says, Aaron Ramsey admits that interest from Barcelona is flattering and would one day like to follow Gareth Bale to Spain. Do I have... Uh, oh, yes. Yes, I've got some quotes here. Obviously, it's flattering, says Ramsey. Uh, he told The Guardian this. Uh, One day, I would like to go over to Spain to play just to see what it's like and to experience that. 
So mm-hmm. there, there's where that comes from. He has quite explicitly said that one day he would like to go and play in Spain. If Barcelona were interested in signing you, why wouldn't you go there as a football player? Um, so, yeah, I think we're in a situation where if Ramsey does have that ambition and if there is interest from a big club in Spain, um, which I assume is the only place he's going to go and play, I, I can't really see him go to, to Italy. Uh, Germany, maybe I can't see that either. So it would have to be interest from a big club in Spain. Maybe that's the way they might manage this particular situation. If they can't come to an agreement with him in terms of a new contract. And, uh, you know, let's be, let's be realistic here. Aaron Ramsey will have been made offers by Arsenal uh, that have not been acceptable to him at this moment in time. I think that would be fair to say. That's absolutely correct, yeah. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, it would have been done. Yeah, so we're in a situation where we might have to take the best case scenario or the, the least worst scenario for, for Arsenal Football Club. So I, I really want him to stay. I think he'd be hugely important for the team. But I have to say, my if I was to give it a mark out of 10... Like in terms mm. of confidence in Ramsey signing a new deal, I think it would be like three or four. Yeah, I was going to say about four. Um, I'm. I find it more likely that he won't sign than that he will. And uh, I think that last summer we sort of had an interesting thing with Alexis, where it sort of became apparent he wasn't going to sign a new deal, and there was some talk about PSG being interested and I think that appealed to a lot of Arsenal fans because it was a way of kind of getting (laughs) smuggling him out of the country without him going to a rival club and at that time Arsenal and particularly Arsene Wenger were still banging the drum of Alexis is not for sale irrespective if he signs a new contract he will not be going anywhere this summer and PSG responded to that by buying Neymar and Kylian Mbappe. Yeah. And I feel that we kind of, and then we ended up in a situation, as we all know, where on transfer deadline day, we tried to sell Alexis to Manchester City. Yeah. I don't think we can allow the same thing to happen with Ramsey. I don't think we can spend the summer going, he's absolutely not for sale. And then on deadline day, trying to be flogging him to another Premier League club in order to save face and save a bit of money. Yeah. Uh, If he's not going to sign, then we have to trust you know, we bought in someone like Sven Mislintat specifically for this type of scenario. You know, at Dortmund, they customarily lost players. You know, big, big stars would go to Spain or the Premier League and they would have to be replaced. Or Bayern Munich. Or Bayern Munich. Yeah, sorry, that's probably the most obvious example. And Dortmund had to replace those players and getting guys who were less well-known and could fill those gaps. And it might yeah. just be that Sven has to reprise that sort of role at Arsenal this summer. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, well, look, I hope I'm wrong and I hope I'm just being a little bit uh, pessimistic because, it, you know, that, that that's just the position you take when you want something to happen. But I do, I do feel a bit pessimistic about the Ramsey situation because uh, I, I suspect that Arsenal have made considerable offers which haven't been deemed acceptable at this moment in time. So how far they can go or how, how far they feel they can go or whether or not uh, those offers are... even worth making you know if the player's mind is made up one way or the other then that's where we are with it so we'll see yeah it's uh the thing is about the contract negotiations it's always it's always no until it's yes do you know what i mean it's sure that they're going to reject everything until they're until they're happy and i think 
with giving Mesut Ozil the contract they've given him, Arsenal have made a little bit of a rod for their own back just because players know or feel that there, you know, there is more money to be had. But it's whether or not the club can afford to pay more than one player that kind of wage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, let's have another question. This is from... Uh, oh, I had a good one and I've lost it. Where's it gone? It's over there. Oh, it's over there yeah, all along. There. Yeah. Well, do you know what? This is not to criticise this question, but this isn't the one that I was particularly looking for, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. Um, Paul, who's at Jolly51393985, a little catchy Twitter handle there, uh, says, Callum Chambers was signed potentially as a defensive midfielder just after the 2014 World Cup. Do you think Emery will revisit him in this position? No. No? No. Fair enough. I don't either. I think, you know, that was, uh, if anything, Chambers was at his most vulnerable when he was being shunted around into different positions. Mm. And I think he's grown comfortable as a centre-half and I think we're signing him to a contract as a centre-half. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it's something that Arsene Wenger said. If I can find the... Um if I can find the, the piece, I know we had it. Uh, well, Arsene Wenger has a tendency to do that about uh, to do that about players. You know, he says, oh, I see him here in the long term and then never plays them there. Um, you know, he said he saw Chambers as a defensive midfielder. Um, and apparently, mm-hmm. if I remember, there was a, a bit where he said, actually, that he was he was training in midfield. But maybe that was part of developing him as a, a defender, you know, to, to get him used to playing on the turn or whatever. But uh, yeah. I don't I don't really see Unai Emery picking uh, Callum Chambers in midfield. I'm not sure he's quite that player, even though that's, that's what Arsene Wenger did say back in the day. But no, I, I don't see it at all. No, can't see that. Well, that was a quick one, but there you go. It Over was. to you. All right, okay. In the meantime, you can try and find your... Your, uh, I found it now. I found the one I wanted to ask. Should I do it, actually, seeing as I was so excited about it? Okay. Yeah, why not? Um, let's go for it. Let's mess with the order. It's from Felix Sumba at Felix Sumba. And Felix says, we talked a lot about centre-back, but he says, should Arsenal rethink the left-back position? Monreal I love, but age is catching up. Kolasinac is unconvincing, poor defensively, unaware of danger, and positioning is too easy to beat. So what do you think about left-back at Arsenal this summer? Is that a problem position for you? I don't think I, I don't think it's a problem, per se, but it's certainly a position in which some thought has to go into over the next season or so. If Kolasinac doesn't develop the way people want him to defensively, uh, and I think he deserves another season to, to, to prove what he can do, but if he doesn't, uh, and you're right, Monreal is getting a bit older. He can't go on forever. Then it is something we are going to have to identify a long-term replacement uh, in. Yeah, you know, we've got Bellerin at right back, hopefully for years and years to come. But the left back position is not quite quite as uh, as secure in the long term, is it? We don't we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I don't think uh, Monreal. What age is he now? Thirty one, thirty two. I'm not sure, actually. And every time I try and use Google, I get sort of Turkish results, so I can't tell what anything says. <laughs> Down the bottom, there should be a use Google in English bit. Anyway, he's 32. Uh, and- he's 32. He'll be 33 in, in February. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, he is heading towards the, the end of his career. We do have, yeah, Kolasinac. I don't know if there's anybody at youth level who's really making the grade either. So, for Just this season... Silver, I guess, would be the... There's some contender. talk, though, that he... he I, th- I think I saw George Bird talking yesterday about how there's a situation with him in some way that he may not be staying. So, I don't quite know ah, really? what that is. Yeah. Um, but to answer the question, it's not really a problem for this season, but I think it, it is going to be something that we've got to pay some attention to uh, in the in the medium term planning. How do you feel about Kalasinac? Because it was quite a strange debut season for him. It impressed a lot at the start, then really dipped, then had moments where he shone. Looked good going forward generally, but a bit of a, mm. a bit of a mess at back, the back of times. Are you? Do you feel that he is someone with the potential to be? A first-choice left-back at Arsenal? With the potential, yeah, but he hasn't quite convinced yet. I mean, he played a lot of football at left-back for Schalke as well. People think he's just a wing-back, but he did play a lot of his football at left-back there too. I guess a lot depends on Unai Emery and what he wants from his full-backs and the way he uses his full-backs, you know, because Kolasinac is a Wenger signing. I think mm. Bellerin will fit very nicely into whatever it is that that Emery wants to do. And I think having a Spaniard uh, in the dressing room and on the pitch as well, a couple of Spaniards around, I think that'll work very nicely for Bellerin and for for Emery. It's whether or not he can get what he wants from Kolasinac. If he wants a really high-intensity pressing game with fullbacks uh, charging up and down, I'm not sure that he, he has the physicality to do it. You know, that would be my worry. Uh, amid all the, the the performances that he had, and I think some of them were very good, some of them were quite indifferent, there were, there were injury problems as well. And I don't know if they're usual for him or if that's just an unusual uh, consequence of, of last season. You know, he seemed to be in and out of the team quite a bit. He'd pick up an injury here or there. I mean, I can't remember any player being taken off more during the season than Kolasinac. So I think he's got a bit to prove still. Uh, The potential is there. I think he's good on the ball, but his defensive awareness, his concentration, I think he can get bypassed a bit too too easily. Mm. Um, So whether that's something they can work on in coaching, um, yeah, maybe they can It feels a bit like, I don't know what you think, but I feel a bit like almost all Arsenal defenders need to be given... A second chance this season yeah. because we just don't know how they'll respond to a different style of coaching. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And maybe with more with more protection from midfield, if we're signing somebody who is going to be a, ostensibly a defensive midfield player, yeah. then maybe they get a bit more protection. Maybe they're not left as exposed. Maybe they don't look as panicked or as as skittish as they have in the past. So, yeah. Like, I think everybody in general, I think everybody goes into this season under a new manager with a clean slate. I mean, is there anybody you think absolutely doesn't deserve one or we know enough about them already to know that a new manager isn't going to make any difference? Oh, Spira! No, I, I, uh, I don't know. Is there anyone? No, I think everyone serves a clean slate. I think that's the exciting thing about this season mm. is that it, I, you're right. It's coaching. It's tactics as well. You don't know how that's a player the, might, might yeah. be protected, or 
some of his flaws might be countered by a new setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. That's what I was going to say is that even if you do look at certain players and go, well, we know exactly what we're going to get from him or what he can do. We know what he can do in a particular setup, but in a new system, in a new uh, organization with better whatever around him, with different things around him, maybe we get something that we didn't quite know before. So that's why I think, yeah, give everyone a clean slate and see how they work, see how they operate, and, and on we go. I agree with you. It's probably fair for you to ask a question there. Oh, is it? Is it? Okay, it's my question. Yeah, you asked the last one. Right. This one comes from James Lowe, who's at Lowey133. And he wants you to give uh, an over-under on various things, okay? So, right. over or under, Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, 1,500 Premier League minutes. How many games is that? I can't do I don't know. 1,500 divided by 90. So, that would be 16, nearly 17 full games. Yeah. I'm going to say under... Right. I think I think he'll get plenty of minutes in Europe and in the cup competitions, but in the Premier League, I don't think he'll get quite that many minutes. I would agree yeah. with you there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Next one. Obama Yang, 25 Premier League goals. 25, 38 games. That's with no injuries. Uh, oh, sorry to be pessimistic. I'm going to go under. Not, not loads under, but 25 is a lot. I, I mean, I'd be delighted, but I... I th- suspect to be more like 20 yeah over 25 goals I think in all competitions but um, yeah I go under 25 I go under 25 uh, it's a fun game though yeah uh, seven red cards over or under <laughs> under under Arsene Wenger's red card shame is over right I'm going over on that one I'm going over really yeah yeah, I actually don't know what's normal to be honest in a standard season. Uh, um, that's a good, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know either. All right, let's well, let's for point of difference, let's you go over and I'll go under. Okay, and the last one is Arsenal with seventy-five points. Hmm, that's the big one, isn't it? Hmm, seventy-five points. What's that normally good enough for? Normally, top four. Top four is sort of 70-ish, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, 75. Yeah. I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm going to say we're going to get exactly 75. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe just a bit under. Just a bit yeah, under. Yeah, I think under as well. Realistically, I think if we make 70 points, I'll be pleasantly surprised. Because I worry a bit about the... Um, the Europa League and the impact that has on the a Premier whole League season. Sunday thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just slightly under for me. Um, okay. Is that the end of the. That's question? the end of. That's the end of the over unders. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I enjoyed that. That was fun. I hope you played along at home. <laughs> um, I've got some questions. And what would it be in the World Cup? They are VAR related questions. Okay. Okay. okay, so the first one is from SP Council, and their uh, Twitter handle is at Secret Agent Guit. And they say, if VAR hits the PL, which we believe it will in about a year's time, A, do you think set pieces will become more important? And B, do you think the player profiles will change as a result with a need for more lanky, elbowy bastards like Crouch and Fellaini? and less for diminutive, quick-skilled like the sadly departed Santi. 
Will set pieces become more important? Maybe, but... I think it's difficult. It feels like they're going to become more important, but is it not just the case that we're seeing uh, a lot of success from set pieces, i.e. a lot of penalties awarded, a lot of goals from corners, because we are in the nascency of this technology and Mm. people haven't yet worked out how to defend properly without holding shirts? Yeah, but again, it goes back to that thing, like... How do you, as a referee, decide which foul is the significant foul from a set piece mm. when there are three or four players fouling each In other? Both directions. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that that's where I think I don't know any amount of VAR or any number of referees on the pitch is going to make that any more um, clear to a referee or to officials, you know, because... If you see one and it's a blatant pull on the attacker, it could be a penalty, but there could be attackers pulling defenders that you're not seeing. You know, it's it, it really is a can of worms, that one. But I don't know about set pieces becoming more important. Maybe penalties, because I think the one thing that VAR has shown us is that there will be more penalties. Mm. Um, but do you think that's temporary? As in, do you think uh, over time... And I think someone was telling me that this occurred in another sport that introduced technology, that there were more fouls awarded. I forget now which sport it was. Hockey of some kind? Maybe it was hockey or something like that. I think it was ice hockey. I think it was the NHL. And basically there was a spike in penalties before defenders uh, adjusted their behaviour. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's possible that it will even out slightly over time. I mean, basically what you're seeing at the moment is uh, a lot of penalties awarded because people are defending the way they've always defended and that's coming under increased scrutiny. But surely there will have to be a bit of a revolution where it will be like, well, rather than just holding people's shirts, we need to refine the idea of zonal mm. or man marking to be successful. Yeah, but I mean, the penalties as well are coming from replays of fouls in the box and they're being shown to be fouls. Sure. Um, you know, is it going to stop a player trying to desperately make a challenge in the box? Well, not if they're not going to get sent off, like in the Croatia game, uh, Of for course, example. of course. And then, you know, it, it's just, it's split second, isn't it, between making a good tackle where you get the ball and making a foul. So I don't know that that's really going to change the way that defenders defend. I think if mm. I think if they did start handing out penalties willy-nilly for holding in the box and everything else, then you would see a change in in tactics. Uh, but again, it, it, because it's so two-sided that thing, you know the the pulling and pushing and shirt tugging mm. and everything else. It's it's a really difficult one. Do we it's need lanky. more lanky, lanky, elbowy bastards? Uh, no, I hope not. I hope not. That seems a bit in, industrial, doesn't it? How did you cope with the news that uh, Fellaini was staying at Manchester United? Uh, delighted. I was <laughs> delighted. I mean, I never really thought there was anything in that. I think it was contract negotiation tactics with mm. United. I never really believed. I was terrified, of course. Terrified. But I was briefly terrified. But I think uh, Charles Watts of Football London had a story saying the club had, had rubbished it. And uh, I was mightily relieved when that did turn mm. out to be the case. Mm. I um, I had a, a second VAR question, actually, on, on the subject. I'm not sure we sort of definitively solved the, the first one, but, you know, 
we're, we're rarely definitive. Uh, it's from AFC Stew, who's at Gooners 2. And they ask, if you could change one decision in Arsenal history with VAR, what would it be? If I could change one with VAR, one that was really wrong. Um... It's Stefan Onsho for me, I think, on the, on the, on the, on the subject of wrong referee decisions. But, I mean, it was only yeah. the FA Cup at stake. Is there, I mean... Is there something else that was maybe even more valuable? Um, I mean, you could talk about the Champions League final and one of the goals being offside. Yes. But it still would have just been 1-1. Maybe we could have held on and taken it to penalties and won on penalties. Almunia saving all five. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, you've no guarantee that that would absolutely change... The result, I can't think of one really that I would love to go back and say that's so wrong that that it would have had a profound impact on our season rather than just sure. one game, you know? You can probably think of one that, that affected a game, but um, no, when I, I think, I'm yeah, stumped on that enough. one. show is one that sort of yeah. was maddeningly obvious, you know, that, that that would have been cleared up instantly, so... That would probably be my answer. All right, here's a question from... Um, okay. Tarjai Fiske Fjellstad, I think. Um, nice work. So he says, is this the last World Cup? Not because the world is going to be blown up by madmen or anything <laughs> right, like that. No. <laughs> or climate change. Uh, still hot here in Ireland, by the way. But he says, considering the next one will be in wintertime, fucking up the Premier League, uh, that's in Qatar, and then the following year, there's an extension to the number of teams. There are going to be 48 teams in the World Cup, which is just ridiculous. But it is might, this, is this it might the, be last? the last great World Cup? Yeah. It really could be. For, for, certainly, it'll be the feel like the last proper World Cup for a long time. I mean, that one in the winter will feel surreal I imagine in four and a half years time and uh, yeah as for the 48 teams I don't know I mean we experienced them expanding the Euros and I seem to remember that people were largely quite positive about it Uh, but 48 is a hell of a lot isn't it? Yeah it makes qualifying tournaments not that interesting as well has an impact on those. I mean, it depends. Who who are they opening up the extra places to? Is it more teams in Europe? Is it more teams in... Um, I imagine it's a fairly even spread. Yeah, I don't know. And but, do we know what they're going to do yet with the with the season when the World Cup is in Qatar? I know they're having it in November because, you know, you can't have a World Cup in the fucking desert uh, in, the, in the middle of summer because that would just be fucking stupid. But what are they going to do? Are they going to start the Premier League season early? To cope with that? I mean, there's going to have Presumably to be a break. Presumably they are. Or? Presumably they are, because it'll have to take a pretty big gap to squeeze a World Cup in. At uh, what point will they restart it? Are they going to, like, have a gap for the entire World Cup? Is that the way it's going to work? I think so. And presumably there'll be a significant advantage to teams whose players don't go to the World Cup. Yeah. Um, imagine, you know, if you've got a fully rested squad versus the players who've all been competing in a tournament for six weeks or however long it is, that will make a massive difference in the second half of the season. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, very It's going to be a weird one. It's almost as if it shouldn't have been put there in the first place. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, here's a here's a quick question from Ollie Tucker. Is that Ollie Tucker ninety three? And he says, I don't know if you gents were following the 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 saga. Uh, Archie Rind Tut um, reporting yesterday about the heroic performance of Vlad Granat, who came on for Russia, played seventy five minutes, and completed no passes <laughs> in seventy five minutes because they were dominated so much by by Spain that. Uh, that he just didn't make a single pass. Now he did attempt five passes. I looked this up in the in the statistics. Right. Um, he attempted five passes, but um, he misplaced them all. Wow, it was pretty amazing, uh, what, isn't it? What position was he playing? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. He came on for somebody really in the. <laughs> let's see. Oh, he came on it. Half time, did he? Oh, yeah. So he came on at half time for uh, Zhirkov. Okay. A, a midfield player. Zhirkov is a left back. Oh, he's a left back, yeah. Yuri Zhirkov. He used to play for Chelsea. Mm. So, okay. That's his worry. I mean, it's, it's a bit like Kalasinac playing at left back sometimes last season. Anyway, the question was um, it begs the question what other feats of non football would you like to see achieved? Ooh. Um, like we could have the Cabadiawara. I mean, I feel like we've had goalkeepers have games where they've made no saves and we've conceded one goal, you know. You're thinking you're thinking short term here. I'm talking like a whole season, like a, a oh. striker who doesn't get a shot on target throughout an entire season. That'd be really something. I'd love that. Imagine if that was an opposition player as well, how much you would love it. Mm. If it was like a Spurs player. Um, God, that would be good. Uh what else would be good? I mean, no passes completed for an entire season would be something quite amazing. <laughs> Imagine uh, that guy still getting games. I know. Be astonishing. There'd be some hipsters talking about, no, but he does a lot off the ball. You need to see what he does off the ball. <laughs> <laughs> he gives the team real structure. Yeah. <laughs> Look at his distance covered. <laughs> he's um, done He's done 47 sprints more than any other player on the team as he yeah. chases his own, uh, his own passes around. Uh, no sprints completed would be good as well. Like no sprints, just a player strolls through an entire campaign. So hang on. I'm just letting all the people who want to shout Mesodozil there shout Mesodozil. <laughs> because, you know, that's a joke, by the way. He clearly does a lot of sprints. So. Sure, 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 sure. Um, sprints through airport security to go on another holiday. Uh, like you. What, yeah, like me, to be fair. I'm having quite the summer. Um, what else? I think they're the main ones. I mean, I, yeah, I would really enjoy the no pass completed if it could extend I'd, I'd like really... a, yeah, a central defender who wins no headers <laughs> yeah but competes for them all yeah 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 but just doesn't win any a single one aerial no matter the yeah. height of the striker no matter the shape of the striker just can't get near yeah 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 brilliant that would be good yeah that's an amazing stat that so uh, just so you know Aaron Ramsey has posted on his uh, Instagram Go on. In the last uh, couple of minutes, it's nothing particularly, um, nothing particularly exciting. Uh, it's back at it with a picture of the training ground, and with the Barcelona's training ground yeah. or our training ground. Aaron Ramsey, not Aaron Irma. My autocomplete is. That's not showing up on my Aaron Ramsey Instagram. I've just got him at a wedding of Tom and Emily. 
Right. Just just wait a second here. My Instagram, just Instagram often doesn't fucking load. It's so temperamental. Maybe it's my internet. Um, maybe it's my internet. I don't know what's going on. According oh. to, to my Instagram, Aaron Ramsey has been at a wedding of Tom and Emily. He's very happy to have been there. Um, he's wishing Jack Wilshire well. No, it's uh, it's on his story. It's on his Instagram. It's oh, just loaded. Story. It's on his Instagram story. So oh, if you there just he click is. Yeah, he's at London Coney. Back at it with the, the Popeye muscly arm thing going on. Yeah, he's, he's there. He's at Coney. Mm. So the players okay. are back. Yeah. Back at it. He didn't uh, put anything cryptic like uh, an emoji of a pen. No. <laughs> what could that mean? We wait for that. We wait for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It means he's doing the crossword. Yeah. Um, Ramsey's doing it. He could sign the contract by accident. He could slip and just, (laughs) oh, no. I'm signed for five more years. God damn it. Um, Fingers crossed. Yeah. So that's it. Look, I I think we should leave it here, to be honest. We've uh, done well, I think. We've done all right. You know, you're in Istanbul. You've got to go out and uh, eat local. Exactly. You've got, like, amazing... What's the word I'm looking for here? Guidance when it comes to kebabs as it is. So I'm assuming mm. that, you know, with all the family the knowledge local there, knowledge. local knowledge, you'll be having the best kebab of all time somewhere. Well, that's it. I Istanbul. need to meet Jack off the plane and take him through. Oh, yeah, yeah, do, do. Yeah. You know, sort him out. It'd be a bit lonely over there. You know, it'd be nice to have a friendly face. Exactly. Um, and, you know, drop us a text or stick something on your own Instagram. Picture of you and Jack scoffing down on the best kebab in Istanbul. I think that's fine. I will do. I will do. Okay, well, look, um, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next Monday with another Arsecast Extra, maybe an Arsecast on Friday. We'll see what happens in the World Cup, if there's anything interesting or if there's anything interesting from an Arsenal point of view now that the players are back uh, in preseason training. We'll have some of that on Friday as well, hopefully. Uh, I'm going back downstairs because the builders are still here. Still here. It's uh, It's been fun. It really has been fun. But anyway, look, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.